and happy new decade and of course welcome back to the Fail Mary podcast. We've had a, a brief hiatus due to a, a studio move and a, a setting up of all the various things that are required to make this thing work uh, and this week as an apology and a gift, a Christmas slash New Year gift to you, we are going to have a double bill of an awful lot has happened since our last show, namely the first round of the NFL playoffs known as Wild Card Weekend. Hmm, entertaining. So I'll have my thoughts on all four of the games, as well as the coaching changes that have been going around the NFL. And of course, our ridiculously successful Akastaka, which on the last week of the season won. Five out of five, 50 quid in the bank. Thank you very much. And last weekend in the first round of the uh, Akastaka was four, not five this time. And we got three out of four, so close once again. Thanks to the Saints for letting us down. So that's all to come. Let's dive straight into the very first game from Wildcard Weekend. So in the first game of Wildcard Weekend, the Texans beat the Bills 22-19. On the surface, that looks like a, a pretty even scoreline. The game went to overtime, it looks like a perfectly balanced game, they were close right until the end, it looks like they were equal. That's not the case. The Bills were, for the most part, excellent and a lot of the credit, in fact all the credit for me, goes to Sean McDermott. This was not far off a perfectly coached game. Josh Allen, he designed him as a runner and had lots of designed runs. Josh Allen went for 92 rushing yards this game, deliberately. They had the trick play for the touchdown where Josh Allen had a receiving touchdown as well. Um, Devin Singletary, the running back, did lots of receiving out of the backfield. They supported Josh Allen well. They didn't miss a kick. They had seven sacks. They conceded zero points in the first half. They were all around very, very well drilled and well coached in this game. The Texans, however, and Bill O'Brien didn't have a running back go over 70 all-purpose yards. Got three sacks all game, gave away penalties, had some very strange play calling, had poor, poor clock management, and yet in overtime... Managed to get a win. How? Well, the answer is that Deshaun Watson is one of the top three QBs in the NFL. I'm not joking. In the second half, you watched Allen sort of do this weird implosion thing. He was trying very hard to lose the game for his team because he's not that special and he's not that talented yet, although he has the potential to be. He was making all the wrong choices. He, at one point, tried to pitch to his tight end but threw it way over his head on a run downfield and the tight end had to slap it out of bounds to stop the ball being turned over. He kept get, um, allowing sacks in bad situations. He, he pit, had poor choices in his passing game. Watson, however, was elite. He had no run game, pretty weird play calling going on around him, bad clock management. His O-line wasn't helping him out that much. He was against the top three defense. He had seven sacks going against him and he made play after unbelievable play. And I want you to think about Deshaun Watson. When he was coming out of college, he was drafted 12th. Mitch Trubisky was drafted 2nd. His head coach, Dabo Sweeney from Clemson, which is, by the way, the best football program in the country, said that he was the closest thing he'd seen to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan's a basketball player, but he is known for making very good plays in clutch situations. And in this game, he said, after the in the interview after the game, he said... He was asked what he thought of how the game had gone, and he said, before the game, he said to his team, someone needs to make the play. And then during the game, he thought to himself, why not me? And for him, it was, it was that easy. He thought, why not me? And then after that, in the second half, he went on a run of making these unbelievably difficult 
off-tempo plays, off-rhythm, nearly getting sacked, somehow keeping balance, running to his right, falling over as he throws, and he did it over and over again. And all of this bizarreness that was going on around him, he remains unfazed and classy. And when I say he's a top three quarterback, this is what I mean. Lamar Jackson, brilliant quarterback, has been excellent all year, will win MVP and deserves it. Patrick Mahomes, great, is going to go down as one of the most raw, talented quarterbacks ever. And Drew Brees is a Hall of Famer. All of these people are in the playoffs with their team, and I think Deshaun Watson is better than all of them. He's a better thrower than Lamar. He's better at extending plays than Mahomes. He's more adaptable than Brees. He's, he throws to basically anyone that's even half open. And the Texans are going to head to the Chiefs this week. And unfortunately, they're probably going to lose because Andy Reid is far better than Bill O'Brien and they've had a week to rest. But I guarantee that this will not be Watson's fault. Deshaun Watson is the only reason that the Texans are still in the playoffs. He carried the team on his, pretty much on his own this week. And Sean McDermott is going to go away. He's still an excellent head coach. The Bills are going to get better. They're going to get more star players. And I think the Bills will come back next, next year. Josh Allen will make some strides. And the Bills will be competitive next season as well. But until they have a talent like Deshaun Watson at quarterback, the Texans are always going to have the upper hand because he was unbelievable. In the second game of wildcard weekend, the Patriots lost 2013 to the Titans, who only snuck in at the very last minute. This game was 14-13 until the last minute pick six. Uh, interestingly, Derek Henry rushed for 30, 34 times for 182 yards. That was 5.4 yards a play and a touchdown. The Patriots' D-line got rinsed. Uh, the Titans, I'm going to reserve judgment on them, but I really do think that if John Harbour and the Baltimore Ravens could have picked anyone to play next week, I think the Titans would have been dead last because they are scary at the moment. Their run game is terrifying and Derrick Henry is very, very difficult to stop. My instinct is that they'll probably lose to the Ravens just because of all-around talent, but I think this is a, a real bogey team and difficult to play. So going to reserve judgment on them until next week and see how the Ravens do against them. But... Lots of talk about the Patriots. This was the first time they were even in wildcard weekend for something like 10 seasons, which in itself is a problem. But what I'm seeing this week is all these headlines about how the Patriots dynasty is over. Um, Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator, is apparently leaving. Um, Colin, Cal Colin Cowherd thinks that Brady's leaving as well. And it looks like Belichick has a real problem with um, offense and drafting. And I'm reading all this and I, I understand where it's coming from, but I think this is probably the worst thing they could possibly do. And this is the worst moment they could do it as well. So let me explain it to you. Josh McDaniels wants to go and do a head coaching job. Based on recent evidence, Josh McDaniels can't even build an offense, let alone a whole team. And people have been saying, you know, he, didn't, he hasn't had enough say in a draft. Well, which head coach has entirety of a say in the draft? The Dallas job is gone. Carolina job is gone, so is Washington. That leaves, what, Cleveland? Do you really think you're going to have full control in Cleveland, a team that's famous for dysfunction and arguments and problems there? Josh McDaniels, if he goes to Cleveland, will get worse. Now let's look at Brady. Brady wants to leave. Awesome, because there are lots of teams out there that want a 42-year-old quarterback who struggles with mobility and is currently struggling with accuracy. I can't wait to see the NFL team that's going to that's going to pay him a huge salary when the NFL has an O-line problem. If Brady leaves, 
regardless of where he goes, he will have one of the worst seasons of his career next year. So, Belichick in charge of this machine. This is what he needs to do. He needs to see that the dynasty doesn't have to be over just yet, but has to adapt. Get O'Brien, sorry, not O'Brien, get McDaniels, get Brady, sit them down, say, look, that was a poor season for us, which is saying something because they still made the playoffs. But that was a poor season for us. Give me one more year, and in return, I'm going to relax on the reins a little bit. I'm going to give more control back to you. Josh and Tom, I'm going to give you Antonio Brown. I don't, he's controversial, yes. They need to be more understanding of players' controversy. Not understanding, but, you know, accepting. You can have full control of the draft. Go and find yourself the best tight end you can. Give yourself a release valve because that's what Brady loves having and that's what they've missed since Gronk has retired. And in return, I will find you O-line help. I'll give you another year of a brilliant defence and special teams and I will leave the offence to you all season. Do it entirely your way. So you've got a whole season to take those players and suddenly you'll have a viable number one in Antonio Brown, a great backfield with Burkehead and White and Sony Michel. You'll have strong number two and three receivers in uh, Sanu and Edelman and a great O-line in a division that is still one of the weakest in the entire NFL. Patriots, don't break up the band net just yet. You still have a chance. If you put all this together, give yourself a bit more flexibility. Belichick, release the reins just a little bit. Go and have one more excellent season where you have an offense that runs, a defense that runs. Brady can even retire or move on after that. McDaniels will go into a head coaching job where he actually has a chance of succeeding, unlike at the Browns, where it's going to be a disaster. And Belichick can either leave it on a high, he can draft a new QB next season, or he can start the rebuild that the Patriots are due at some point anyway. Doesn't have to be the end of a franchise. You lost to the Titans in a playoff game, but you were still in the playoffs. You still have a very strong defense, still very well organized and special teams. And this doesn't have to be the end of the dynasty. Now, let's move on to my personal favorite game from the weekend. And yes, I know for people who follow me on Twitter that this is the one where I messed up and it ruined my acca. And I'm, you know, I'm upset about that. But in reality, this was the most interesting game of the weekend. The Saints lost 20-26 to the Vikings in overtime. And this is the game for me that showed there's always an upset. But in reality, if we'd all looked at this game properly, we should have realised that this game was the Vikings to win all along. And I don't know, I can't believe I missed this. I, everything I like about football, I threw out the window. I like good defence. I like teams that run the ball effectively. And I like defensive head coaches. Mike Zimmer is one of the best defensive head coaches in the NFL and the Saints are guilty of a cardinal offensive sin, and they did it in this game as well. And what we've said about the Saints all season, and what we said until they had their run at the end of the game, what I said at least, until they had their run at the end of the season, is that the Saints are too dependent on one player. And the Vikings knew that, and Mike Zimmer knew that, and they went into this game, and even with the much worse QB, they managed to keep this game close, and then... Kirk Cousins had to make literally one play at the end of the game. He threw that really, really good throw to Adam Thielen. Brilliant. Set them up for the touchdown. Won the game. But 20-20 at full time. And you look at how the Saints threw this game away from themselves. And it's readily apparent that this entire time, Michael Thomas has had a career year. One of the best years for a wide receiver in NFL history. He broke all sorts of records. 
And they went into this game thinking that they could just do it again. Just, you know, Michael Thomas, we'll use Michael Thomas, we'll pass to him loads. Drew Brees loves Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas, Michael Thomas, Michael Thomas. Mike Zimmer went, right, well, if you're going to do that, which you are, Sean Payton, you're going to let your team down. I'm going to double Michael Thomas all game. And it really was that simple. And what they did, they played five DBs. They had Andrew Sendejo play sort of a corner roaming safety role. And every time that Michael Thomas was lined up somewhere, Andre Sendehu would go and help. So if he was out wide, then he would help the corner double team. If he was in the slot, then he'd play corner and the safety would help him double team. If he was in motion, Sendejo would literally follow him across the field. And what this meant that was that one of the most athletic players in the Vikings defence was constantly in competition with the Saints' primary receiver and always had some form of help. And they limited him to 70 yards, which is still really good for a wide receiver in any game. But while this was going on, while the Saints were struggling to get their favourite tool going and their favourite weapon going over and over again, Dalvin Cook was racking up 130 all-purpose yards, two touchdowns, and Adam Thielen was racking up 129 receiving yards from Cousins. And this was easily because they put Marshall Lattimore, their best, the Saints put Marshall Lattimore, their best DB, on Stephon Diggs, who is the Vikings' best wide receiver, probably. And Thielen had a, an easy matchup with the Saints' second best DB, who isn't that good, has had problems all year, and torched them. And the, the most frustrating thing about this entire game is that the Saints knew it was happening, and yet Sean Payton went, OK, let's try this formation with Michael Thomas. No, 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 stop. Do something different. We know how good Mike Zimmer is. We know that he he rushes in a really clever way, he, that he layers his defensive rushing. We know that he's going to get to Drew Brees. We know that Drew Brees needs to do shorter routes, less time to develop. And in a double team, it is impossible, even for Michael Thomas, one of the best wide receivers in the game, to break a double team in that amount of time. When you've got that good a pass rush, even with the Saints' offensive line, you have to do something different. And the Saints' best period of the game is when they took they took literally took Drew Brees out, put Taysom Hill in, and the Vikings, who were well coached, defensively well organized, had no answer for this because it's how do you prepare for Taysom Hill? He plays a different position every game. He had a receiving, he had 50 rushing yards, 25 receiving yards, and a touchdown. But when he went in at QB and became basically a wildcat running QB, the Vikings had no answer. And then they took him out, put Drew Brees back in, and in one of the most important plays of the game, Drew Brees held on to it too long, looked for Michael Thomas again, got the ball stripped, the Vikings turned it over, went on to win the game. And Sean Payton, I, the Saints have had a lot of bad luck in the playoffs, but if they complain about the Vikings having offensive pass interference on that last play, then they, they really, really need to have a look at themselves. That is ridiculous for for them to be 2020 with the Vikings at the full time when their offense is this good or supposedly this good all season and then to blame one play at the end this game should have been put to bed before they even went to overtime and it's Sean Payton's fault because he did not adjust at all Breeze didn't either Breeze should have gone to the sideline and gone maybe we should stop targeting Michael Thomas maybe we should you know use Kamara a bit more or use Cook um their tight end a bit more but no no let's just let's try a slightly different formation and it was so apparent, and it should have been clear even to them, when Taysom Hill was racking up all these yards on his own, that, hey, the Vikings have got us sussed. We need to do new and different stuff. Let's just like Sean McDermott did with the Bills. We need to, you know, introduce our QB as a running threat. That's different. They won't have seen that before. Or we can introduce a shorter passing game because to our... They have amazing, good... 
They've got these really good receivers that aren't Michael Thomas, like Ted Ginn, very good um, quick burst receiver, can get separation. And yet, over and over again, Sean Payton just dialed up Thomas's number and they let themselves down this game. And this was a game where good coaching beat bad coaching, which is good because the Texans didn't deserve coaching-wise to beat the Bills. So this one balances it out. And this is what I like to see in American football. Good coaching should overcome laziness in coaching. And I'm glad the Vikings won. And I think that they'll probably go to their next game against the 49ers, who are known for their you know utility players and using lots of different people to do different jobs. And I think they'll probably lose this game because the Saints, sorry, the Vikings offense could only put 20 points on the Saints. The 49ers have a better defense and are going to have a more diverse offense. And I think the 49ers will there's a potential that they will embarrass the Vikings, but the Saints deserved this loss and I'm glad it happened to them. And finally, we can come to the game that I suggested might be the best game of the weekend and turned out to probably be the worst, but that's because Carson Wentz had to go off injured. This was the Seahawks that being the Eagles 17-9. Um, pretty much as soon as Wentz, off this game, Wentz went off, this game was over, and you could see that the Seahawks thought it as well in the way that they played. They weren't, you know, as intense as they had been when Wentz was on the field. Josh McCown came on and did a pretty good job, but Wentz's injury was partly a head injury assessment, but it was also <laughs> um, probably a sore back from carrying his team all season. But yes, the Seahawks won 17-9. There's not a lot to say about this game. I do think that the Seahawks' next game is very interesting and we'll come to that in the Akastaka. But the one thing that this game did confirm for me as part of the wider NFL season is that DK Metcalf, the widest, the Seahawks wide receiver, for me is the offensive rookie of the year. In this game against a good Eagles defense that was well organized, Metcalf had 160 yards and a touchdown. And People have talked about A.J. Brown, the Titans receiver, being very good, and he has been. Or Hollywood Brown, the Ravens receiver, being very good. He has been. But Metcalf has come into an offense where he was immediately the number one receiver. He came off a draft where he had a lot of media attention and a lot of pressure. He fell in the draft to the second round. He got picked up by the Seahawks. And Russell Wilson, an unbelievable QB, is known for being really quite tricky to play with because of how off-script and off-tempo he sometimes can be. For him to have, by the way, this was the best performance by a rookie, a rookie, a rookie wide receiver? <laughs> a rookie wide receiver in any playoff game ever. 160 yards is the record. And Metcalf has been doing this all season as a number one with an extraordinary amount of pressure on him. He went on, he scored a touchdown, he had 160 yards, and he was, again, the Seahawks' most productive offensive player. And I think all fair, I think fair praise to him. He's had a brilliant, brilliant season. For me, this game tipped him against AJ Brown and Hollywood Brown and any of the running backs. He's been absolutely excellent. So Seahawks are going to go on. They're going to play Green Bay. We'll come to that game in a minute. But Metcalf for me, offensive rookie of the season and well-deserved. So that is wild card, wild card weekend done and dusted. Next up, we are doing the AFC, sorry, the championship weekend. But first, I want to look at some of the head coaching changes that we've seen in the off season. Uh, we've had three in the uh, last week or so. Finally, Dallas got rid of Jason Garrett. Uh, New York have picked up a new one, and Carolina as well. Uh, one of these I don't like at all. One of them I think is a safe and 
very boring pick and one of them I really do like. So start with the rubbish one. Uh, John Mara and Dave Gettleman between them are the New York Giants uh, owner and GM. They've picked Joe Judge. If you've not heard of Joe Judge, it's because he's the Patriots special team coordinator and wide receivers coach. He's 38 years old. He's never had a head coaching job. And this is probably going to be a bit of a disaster. Patriots, especially the Belichick ones, the Patriots coaching tree tends to end up not being very good. Look at Matt Patricia and the Detroit Lions. You have to give some credit to Brian Flores, the Miami head coach. But again, they've not had an amazing season. They've had a few upsets and performed well for a bad roster, but they've by no way been a standout team. Um, And I just think this is a very uninspired decision and actually quite foolish. The assumption is that because he's worked with Belichick, he'll be able to install a Belichick-esque system. Doesn't work, especially in the modern NFL. The Belichick system is getting more and more outdated and less effective as players get want more control and more continuity. Joe Judge isn't going to garner any respect early on because he's got no coaching history. And this is a team with a lot of problems. I do like that he does special teams very well. I do like that he's come from a very well-coached defensive team. But the Giants have a lot of work to do. And Gettleman and Mara, if this is going to work, are going to have to have at least three years where they give Joe Judge almost full autonomy to let him try and install his own system. I don't see that happening because they're going to, I think they're going to panic when this disastrous in its first year. This could be a very, very short-lived tenure for Joe Judge. And I don't think it's his fault because coming from the Patriots system where you've coached, been coached by a genius doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be any good. It just means that you've got a very high expectation of how a team should be run and you're going to get quite annoyed when it doesn't work that way. That's what happened to Patricia at the Detroit Lions. So good luck to Joe Judge. I hope it goes well for him because you don't want to see any team be terrible. But I can see this. The Giants team with a very weak defense, off defense, a rook, an almost rookie QB with some problems of his own, a weak O-line and very little talent on the offensive side of the ball as well. He's got a lot of work to do and I don't think they're going to have the patience for him. So the second one, this for me is uninspired and actually could be a little bit disastrous. This one is Jerry Jones have signed Jerry Jones in Dallas after firing Jason Garrett, which was the right decision. Have signed Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy of, you know, Green Bay, Super Bowl winning, coached Aaron Rodgers, knows how to make a system. On paper, this is very experienced in the NFL. On paper, this is a good signing. I don't like it because Mike McCarthy, yes, won a Super Bowl. Yes, coached Aaron Rodgers from, you know, from his rookie through, but was blessed with one of the best QBs in NFL history in Aaron Rodgers. That's not arguable. He just is. And managed to win one Super Bowl. Think about the things that happened in his time with Green Bay. Their defense deteriorated. He was guilty of putting way too much pressure on Aaron Rodgers and not giving him the support he needed. The offensive scheme began to be more and more outdated. Rodgers got tired of him. There was rumours about him not being that attentive and focused. And the probability is he'll come into Dallas and he'll install, he'll be rigorous, he'll install a few of the right things and they'll be again competitive. But what would have been much more interesting is if Jerry Jones had seen that he has a young offensive QB, a young offence in general and lots of talent on the defence but not well organised and he'd gone even if we're not going to be the best team in the NFL next year, let's be interesting. And he'd gone to the college system and he'd hired Urban Myers or one of the really exciting young offensive college head coaches. Head coaches That would have been a really, really smart thing to do and would have made Dallas interesting next year. 
Mike McCarthy, for me, isn't an interesting signing. He's old-fashioned, he's strict, he's rigorous, he likes his own scheme. And I understand why Jerry signs him, because Jerry is old-fashioned and traditional in his own way. But it would have been better for Dallas in the long run if they'd at least attempted to make themselves an interesting team next year. And they had the chance to do this. The Dallas coaching job is one of the best coaching jobs in the NFL. And Mike McCarthy, for me, that's just very uninspiring. How well is he going to work with Dak when his last QB was Aaron Rodgers? And Dak is not Aaron Rodgers. He's good and he's a good leader, but he's not Aaron Rodgers. Would it not have been get better to give this young QB, who's a very good leader, an interesting offensive scheme at the very least? It's not going to be interesting. It's going to be the Green Bay of last year, I suspect, which is a lot of lack of motioning, not going to give Dak enough support. And it's just effectively going to become about ground and pound, run the ball a bit, keep the Dallas identity and more of the same, essentially more Jason Garrett, but slightly stricter. I don't like the signing. I think they should have gone for someone younger like Urban Meyer. I think Dak in the long run is going to suffer because of this. And it looks good on paper, but for me, this is an uninspired pick, which leads me on to the Carolina Panthers pick, which is a man called Matt Rule. If you don't pay attention to college football, you won't know who that is. That's fine. He's been at Baylor for the last three years. That's a college, if you've never heard of it. Um, When he joined in his first season, they went 1-11. And then in his final season, before he got signed, they went 11-1. Their QB is Charlie Brewer. If you've not heard of him, that's okay as well. It's because he's not amazing. He's good, but not brilliant. He's not going to be a first-round pick. And I like this choice. This This is what, for me, this is what Dallas should have done. And David Tepper, who got rid of Ron Rivera, who's not sure about Cam, who knows they need a new QB, who's the owner at Carolina, has made a good decision here. He's young, he's youngish, and he wants to sign an exciting and young um, head coach prospect. And that's what Matt Rule is going to bring to the program. He turned Baylor around in three years. Carolina have a lot of work to do, but with Matt Rule at the helm, I see excitement for their program ahead. And next season, I'm going to be a lot more interested in how Carolina do than how Dallas do, because I think Matt Rule is a much more inspired signing than Mike McCarthy. So it could all go terribly wrong. It could turn out that Matt Rule is an awful NFL head coach, that he doesn't get it at all, but at least it's inspiring and interesting. And Carolina don't have a good enough system that this is going to work immediately, but Tepper is going to back him because it's his first head coaching appointment. I like the signing. I like the fact that he's going to come in and have a competent O-line, good receivers, and an excellent running back he's then got to make a QB decision which he'll immediately go into a strong offense they need to improve the O-line a bit but for the most part a strong offense and a competent not terrible but not brilliant defense so there's work to do for Matt Rule it's going to be interesting to see how he does in the NFL but that is for me a much more inspired choice than boring old Sheriff Mike McCarthy although he will shoot the um the star badge because he does look like an American sheriff so there's that for Dallas good job Jerry Jones excellent job Dave Tepper Mara and Gettleman, meh. Don't get it. And with that, we can now look ahead to divisional weekend, not championship weekend, as I said earlier. This is divisional weekend. The first game I'm going to look at is the Vikings v the 49ers, because I've already said something on this, and I'm going to include this This is going to be an Acker slash look at the games. So, first, Vikings at the 49ers. 49ers are minus six and a half for their handicap. I like that as a number. The Vikings 
defensively were excellent last weekend, but essentially it boiled down to can we stop Michael Thomas and can we limit Drew Brees after that? Once Taysom Hill came into the gale and once the 14, once the uh, the Saints showed them something different, they struggled because personnel-wise they aren't that brilliant and they aren't good enough to adapt when new things come their way. And what I think the 49ers are going to do is test out early on how good is Kittle against these people, how good is our receiving core against this group, and then if that proves to slow down, then it'll be what can we do that's different because head coaching-wise, Kyle Shadahan will spot the things that the Vikings did well and what they tried to limit and adapt because that's what he's learned to do as an offensive coordinator. That's what he's good at. So, Kirk Cousins had a good game. Yes. He's coming up against a good defense. Yes. Can the 49ers separate themselves by more than a touchdown? It comes down to, is the 49ers backfield good enough to limit Kirk Cousins when he's throwing to Diggs, Rudolph and Thielen? And... The problem will be, for Kirk Cousins, does he have enough time? Because his 49ers pass rush is going to be brilliant, especially if they can limit Dalvin Cook as well. This is going to be, I think, the most interesting game of the weekend because there's a lot you have to stop with the Vikings, but ultimately it comes down to can he stop Cousins, not can he stop his weapons. So I'd work front to back. I'd stop Dalvin Cook first because he's, his Cousins' release valve and his, you know, his, his get-out get clause. Stop him first, limit Dalvin Cook. That forces Cousins to look further down the field. The next, his next target is always Rudolph because tight ends usually a mismatch and usually a bit of a problem. Rudolph is, has been very good, especially in the second half of the season, and got the winning touchdown. So 49ers will go, right, now we've got to stop Rudolph. I think they can do that as well. And then it goes, right, how do we stop Thielen and Diggs at the same time? If they do that in that motion whilst also keeping their offense going, then this will allow them... So think about it, is that... 49ers aren't going to be stopped offensively. So they go onto the field, they score. Then they have a go at stopping Dalvin Cook. Say they get the Vikings three and out doing that effectively. They go back on, they have another chance to score. They're already, even if it's just two field goals, they're six ahead because I think the Vikings are going to struggle to slow down the entirety of the 49ers offense. So early on, this game goes close, very close, because Mike Zimmer is too good a defensive coach to let the 49ers just run away with it. They aren't going to separate early. But I think as this game wears on, we're going to see the more adaptable offense start to separate themselves as the Vikings start to slow down. So there is a chance that the Vikings even go ahead early. It's going to be very, very interesting to watch. But ultimately, I think the 49ers have too much star power and are too adaptable in their offense for the Vikings to be able to stop them forever. And as the game gets further on, I think Cousins gets more and more desperate to try and keep them in competition. I think that's when the mistakes will start showing. When the mistakes happen, the 49ers' defence are going to be good enough to capitalise on, capitalise on them. So, 49ers minus 6.5 is my first pick. And I think that's... I predict this game to go something like 28-20, maybe even 30-20. I think the 49ers are going to show themselves to be the best team in the NFC this weekend. The second game to look at, and this is... My, my pulse is racing already. The Ravens are playing the Titans. The Ravens are at home. They are minus nine as a handicap. Stopping Derek Henry is the key to this game. And that is such an obvious thing to say, but it's really hard to do. Um, and the Ravens defense is built back to front, which means that they aren't the best in the league at stopping running backs. And that was that showed when they played Cleveland the first time around and they got run on. And it showed in a few of the, the other games they lost as well. Uh, 
oh, the Titans haven't faced the Ravens and facing this Ravens offense first time around, especially when Lamar's had a three-week rest. It's going to be really interesting. Ultimately, and there's not a lot to say on this one, ultimately it comes down to can the Ravens put this game on Tannehill instead of Derrick Henry? But even if they do that, Tannehill's a bit of a, an unknown this year because he hasn't been asked to do that much. What he has been asked to do, he's been excellent. Ravens have been the best offense. Oh, just very difficult to pick, but I think minus nine in a playoff game is a lot to ask of any team. So for the Ravens to separate by that much, no, I'm going with the Titans plus nine in this game. I'm going with Derrick Henry keeping it close. I'm going it with um, the, the Titans run game, keeping the Ravens off and Lamar off the field for long enough. The Patriots did everything they could as a very, very good defense to stop Derrick Henry. And it they stacked the box an unholy amount and it did not work. Unless he gets injured very early on, at which point the game is over, but I, that's a horrible scenario and I don't want that to happen because you want the best game possible. I think the Titans really do, they really are a bogey team because Derrick Henry finished the season with the most rushing yards, struggled to get off to a good start, so basically in half a season ran for more yards than most running backs did all season. The Titans are horrible up front, the, the Ravens are built from back to front defensively. They do have some very good run stoppers like Brandon Williams, who is, I think, weighs another 100 um, pounds on Derrick Henry, something ridiculous like that. But difficult very very difficult to stop minus nine in a game where the titans are going to do everything they can to keep the ball away from lamar is a big margin so i'm taking the titans plus nine i think ultimately the ravens will probably win out fingers crossed because i'm a ravens fan but this is this is a real this is another in fact i don't think there is a, a best game from the weekend these are all fascinating i'm taking the ravens to win it but the titans to stay close probably until the end so titans plus nine against the ravens again absolutely fascinating one to watch can't wait to see this game the next one is the packers minus four versus seattle i'm i think seattle could win this one straight up the packers are ocm and euro on the nfl show called the packers the least impressive 13 and 3 team he'd seen all season and i i have to i have to agree in this situation Offense, head coaching wise, well, Pete Carroll is better than Matt LaFleur, even though Matt LaFleur's had a great season. QB wise, you can't really separate Rodgers and Wilson. I personally prefer Wilson in this game. Defense wise, Seattle are the more injured of the team, and the Packers have been very good at running the ball for the most part, but Seattle love to attempt to run the ball. And between Lynch and his backup, the Seattle Seahawks have been very good running the ball as well. So the Packers are minus four, which means Seattle are plus four. I'm taking Seattle in this game. I think they're difficult to play against. I think they're good on the road, which will negate the Packers' home field advantage. I like that the Packers have had a break. I like that the Seattle defense is injured-ish, and I think the Packers should be expecting to win this game. But there are a lot of finesse and not enough tenacity for me. And I think Pete Carroll will go into, the, into Green Bay and say, look, no one giving us a chance. We aren't the favorites. We just need to get him the Packers' face. And if they do, especially people like Clowney, who was a real problem for Philadelphia on the weekend, if they get in the Packers' face early and they just, you know, get right in there and punch them in the face, then I think the Packers are the sort of team that will go, oh, we don't, we don't like this. Um, young head coach, young offense for the most part. Um, it's a lot of Devontae Adams and Rodgers and then, you know, sort of good peaches. Aaron Jones, 
will be key for the Green Bay Packers. What to watch for will be when Rodgers is on the field, how does the Seattle D-line play against the Packers O-line? If they get right up in their face, stop the run and get after Rodgers early, then I can see Seattle um, with Wilson and Metcalf being a really difficult to stop, especially at the Green Bay defence, which has been more about takeaways than it has been about dominating teams. So Seattle plus four, a very, very good game to watch this one on Sunday. I'm taking Seattle to win it, to be honest. I'm going to say maybe overtime. If it goes to overtime, 23-22 Seattle. And it's going to be a hard ground and pound game for both teams. And finally, we have the Chiefs playing the Texans. The Chiefs are minus nine and a half, which is the biggest margin of the weekend. Bigger even than the Ravens game. I get it because the Texans are so poorly organized, but the Deshaun Watson factor has to be taken into effect. So let's look at what works for the Chiefs. They've got Patrick Mahomes, brilliant. They've got Andy Reid, an amazing head coach. They've got the better run game currently, although it was not great at the start of the season. They're at home in Arrowhead, which is a very hard place to play, and defensively they have been improving. So what goes against them? Andy Reid is rubbish in the playoffs. They've won something like two in the last six trips to the playoffs. I think that's right, two in the last six trips to the playoffs. They've won two playoff games. This is the second time that Patrick Mahomes has gone, so he has a bit more experience. But Deshaun Watson and the Texans are very hard to stop at the moment. The Bills struggled and they have a better defence than the Chiefs do and they're better organised so this is going to come down to how much the Chiefs can slow down the sorry how much the Texans can slow down the Chiefs early because if the Texans can keep the Chiefs in range then that gives Deshaun Watson a chance to be Deshaun Watson my instinct is that the Chiefs will win but minus nine and a half is again a really big margin so I'm saying I'm taking the Texans plus nine and a half against the Chiefs Deshaun Watson this is the game of the this is the best two quarterbacks um, currently for me in the playoffs if you look at all the other teams apart from you know Russell Wilson's been amazing but Aaron Rodgers hasn't been great this season Tannehill entertaining not brilliant Cousins brilliant not entertaining the 49ers um, Garoppolo's game managing very well and the Ravens Lamar very entertaining to watch but uh, still as a passing talent not as good as these two so Mahomes against Watson this is going to be flag football at its finest two unbelievably good QBs in a stadium with this, that's very easy to throw in, this is going to be a really good game to watch. I think, yeah, I'm going with Deshaun Watson to keep this, the Texans to keep the game close with JJ Watt and the defence just getting after the Chiefs, and then Deshaun Watson to make a few more unbelievable plays. There is, of course, the possibility that Watson folds after I've put all this praise on him. I curse him as a commentator, and it all goes terribly, and the Chiefs destroy them, but I don't see that happening. So, Texans plus nine and a half this weekend against the Chiefs. I like those odds as well. And let's see how the game goes. And that is the end of the Akastaka, the end of the preview of the weekend and the end of the show. Thanks very much for listening. Sorry again for the delay, but we are back and we should be back now right through until the Super Bowl and then from there, who knows? Uh, thank you very much for listening. I understand that the games are late, but I urge you to stay up, especially for the Ravens game. Stay up and watch it because it's going to be interesting and you don't get the whole experience unless you watch every single snap. Like me, I'll be in a sports bar somewhere in Cambridge if you want to come and find me. 
Otherwise, thank you very much for listening and I will see you next week.